Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate abner mares is a world champion boxer olympian sports commentator and most importantly dad to two little girls Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and man that he is. They'll chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's American dream, and being a husband and a girl dad, which is pretty rad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. And this, you know it, you love it, you keep coming back for it, and we keep being very, very excited to bring this in. We have Nick here, again, Dan, myself, but we have Matt Law as our Matt Law specials continues to roll forward this season. And then Matt, I know you had a chance to go to the Man City West Ham game this weekend. Uh, How was that? Nice and cold, I think. Yeah, it uh, it wasn't too bad, actually. It's quite mild (laughs) here. It's been raining a lot, but it's fairly mild. Um, I think some of you guys might have it colder, but maybe not so much rain. (laughs) But it's a good game. It's a good game. West Ham have actually... I saw West Ham the first day of the season and thought they might still not have any points at this stage. I think they've done quite well to get eight points. And and for Chelsea fans, I can report that Declan Rice was excellent against Manchester City. So in terms of seeing him against top-class opposition, that was um, a good audition for, I think, what you all hope to come one day. <laughs> well, The story I, I that will never end. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I know you mentioned that uh, in the last episode we did, which was not too long ago, that it's still too early to talk about January transfers. But I do think the one thing that you highlighted before we jumped on is that if Declan Rice, who is impressing, was to sign a new contract, don't panic because that doesn't mean that the calculus of the situation changes in the summer. He could still head to Chelsea, even if he does sign something new. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I do think there is a chance that Declan Rice might sign a new West Ham contract just to reward him for his performances. He's basically the on-pitch captain there now because Noble's not playing, so Declan t- takes over the armband. Um, and I think they'll want to reward him. They'll want to settle him down for the rest of the season because, let's face it, there's, there's no way Declan Rice is going to move in January. Um, 
And then, yeah, I don't think it would change anything for next summer at all. So if, if that story crops up in the next few months, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a cause to panic for, for Chelsea fans at all. Well, you, you heard it. You heard it straight from Matt. Don't panic if Declan Rice signs a new contract. This is just how things work. But we have other things to talk about today. We're going to get into some of the interesting situations regarding Frank's squad balancing, you know, the inclusion of Rudiger in the side again this weekend when we play Manchester United, maybe the absence of Callum Hudson-Odoi of Kyle Tomori. We're going to go through and rank the importance of some of the summer signings that we've had now that we've had a chance to see them all on the pitch. And then we're going to go over the next couple of games that we had before the international break and what the expectations are that maybe the club or Frank would have. But uh, Nick, why don't we just jump right in? Why don't you kind of lead us into the situation at hand? Uh, squad balance, <laughs> a thing that we've talked about, but haven't really seen uh, this far in the season. Uh, part of this comes down to the fact that you know, so many of our players uh, can make the starting lineup or bench in any match, but Callum Hudson-Odoi and Fikayo Tomori's absence over the past few matches is causing some alarm uh, among Chelsea fans. Matt, what, if anything, should we read into this? Is, are, are there are there problems brewing? Like, what, what's going on? Look, I, uh, because of the size of the squad, which we've spoken about before, and it's mm. clearly bigger than Frank would ideally like, um... Every single selection he makes every week, there's going to be an omission from the squad who you could make a case for them being pretty unhappy about it. You know, we've had Rudiger for weeks now. He's back in the squad. They can't have two central defenders on the bench, really. There's no real point, particularly with Aspie in there who can fill in all over the place. So this this time it was Tamori and obviously Callum as well. And, and again, because now Ziyech is fit um, and the options they've got going forward, there's pretty much always going to be an attacking player. I mean, some weeks it might be one of the two strikers who's not on the bench. Some weeks it might be one of the wide players who's not on the bench. I think we're going to have to get used to this, though, for certainly up until January, that there's always going to be a kind of a surprise not in the squad because you can't put them all in the squad. It's simple as that. So I think it's dangerous to read too much into it on the back of one. I think it's interesting that Rudiger was back in. I think it's a shame for Tamori. Um... I mean, I wrote about him on my newsletter. I think he's been unlucky not to get more starts. His stats are quite good. Um, he's reacted well to the disappointment of not going on loan, I'm told. There's no problem behind the scenes. So I think he's a little bit unlucky. Callum Hudson-Odoi is an interesting one because we do seem to be stuck in a bit of a rut with Callum in that every time he's not playing his camp, and I should stress it's not Callum himself, um, but his camp tend to start getting a little bit busy with stories about maybe moving on again. And you do fear if he's not in a couple of squads, that will start to, to raise its head again. And I hope it doesn't. I hope they, they calm the situation down and are willing to, to put their foot on the ball a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, even when Frank, I think, settles on sort of his, his first choice 11 or first choice 12 or 13, shall we say, I still think there'll be a lot of rotation within that squad and that bench because... There just kind of has to be. It's just the situation he's in with the size of the squad. When you look at it with Tamori and you know now Rudiger kind of coming in this weekend, and you mentioned it's a little interesting kind of inclusion back in. I think Fakayo would have expected if he didn't go on loan, which <laughs> I mean, maybe the way West Ham are playing recently, he would not yeah. have started there. But um, I think the it looked in general that he would potentially at least get starting minutes there with some level of regularity. Do you think that the 
there's going to be an onus on Frank to try to get him into the squad versus someone like Rudiger? Or like, why would Rudiger kind of be back on, on the bench at this point? So what I'm told with Rudiger is that there's been some constructive talks um, quite recently. Um, I don't think, I don't think there'd been a huge fallout, but let's, let's be honest, you know, he's a German international. He's not going to take well to not being in the squad. So I think there was um, a bit of work to do on the relationship there, shall we say. And I, I from what I hear, there's been some constructive talks between them in terms of let's get to January. Um, I think Lampard's promised him to to take a a real look at him, um, whether it be in training or whether he gets some minutes in a game, and and certainly get him back on the bench a bit more and and give him more of an opportunity to try and win his place back. I think Rudiger, on the other hand, has also promised up until January to to um, to not be any sort of disruptive influence in the background, to try and remain a positive influence. Obviously, we know he can be positive. He helped Werner and Kai Havertz join. He's got a good relationship with those guys. He's a loud, bubbly character when he's in the right mood. He's one of the louder characters in that squad. Um, so I also think that Frank will be thinking, look, I'd, I'd want this guy on my, my side at least until January. So I'm, I'm told that's happened up until now which is probably why he's back in the Man U squad. I expect him to be in more squads now, not necessarily every single squad, because I'd be surprised if Frank just cut Tomori adrift. But they're in a real kind of strange rotation, those two, in terms of who plays and who doesn't play. And Well, not even who plays and who doesn't play, who's in the squad and who's not in the squad. And they're both going to have to be quite patient. I feel really sorry for Fikayo because he had a an Everton loan move arranged, which... He and Chelsea, I think, at one stage were quite excited about. They thought it would be really good for his development. Um, that had to be cancelled because of the situation that came up with Rüdiger. And then when it went back in his favour, because it didn't look like Rüdiger was going to leave right very late in the window, it was really too late. They couldn't find a move. West Ham came up. West Ham, as you just said, weren't actually promising in minutes. Um, I think you're right. I don't think he'd actually be playing for West Ham at the moment. I think he'd probably be on the bench. Uh, albeit maybe closer to the first team than he currently is at Chelsea. And, he, he, you know, you can't go to West Ham on loan and not play. Um, that would be far worse than, than staying at Chelsea and not playing. So it's a it's a really tricky one. But I, I do think the Rüdiger news at the moment, and as long as it, it stays constructive and this doesn't change in the next couple of weeks, I think that's good news for Chelsea and, and Lampard up until January. So, so we know there are a bunch of fixtures coming up. We'll talk about them mm. in, a, in a second. But... As it pertains to some of these fringe, you know, kind of squad players right now, is there any sense that there's going to be enough squad rotation for everyone to get some minutes moving forward? Or is Frank trying to really just settle on the the 17 that he that he needs for matches? It's going to be difficult because going out the Carabao Cup has really um, taken away the opportunity to use the squad a lot. And I think Krasnodar will be interesting. Of all the European games I've got, whether you risk a Thiago Silva, for instance, against Krasnodar, I'm really not sure. Um, so I'd have thought that game might present a few opportunities. Um, but yeah, I'd, you don't see a point in the fixture list that, that makes it that easy for him to to really give minutes to some fringe players because of that Carabao Cup defeat um, until the FA Cup starts, really. Because the situation they're on, in the, they've got some nice-looking fixtures coming up in the league where... Had they have started very strong results-wise, you might think, okay, you might you might juggle it around a bit. But 
I think they know now with this good good set of fixtures coming up that they they really need to do everything they can to try and take maximum points out the next three or four or five games um, to really get on a run. And you don't see them rotating too much to do that. Although, I mean, look, Frank does spring surprises. I've got to be honest, I didn't see the three at the back come in against, against Man United. In hindsight, you can see why he did it. And in hindsight, it looks sensible. And you kind of think to yourself, should have seen that one come in. But I, there were no clues there. Frank Frank does juggle things around. I saw an article not long ago calling him the new Tinker Man, and he can be a bit like that. Uh, it's interesting out of every manager that he's worked with that uh, Ranieri would be the one that would uh, give him, <laughs> imprint upon him. That would be the most interesting thing to come of that. Um, as it relates to, and maybe just kind of tie off here, so it sounds like at least right now then, the center-back depth chart has kind of shifted a little bit to be Thiago Silva is one, Kurt Zuma two, now Rudiger is three, and then somewhere between Christensen and Fakayo as the four-five, and that could switch on the day? Um, difficult to, to make it. After the first two, it's difficult, I still think, because you're, you're working between formations. Mm-hmm. Um, Clearly, he fancies Aspie as that that third centre back in a in a three, but obviously you wouldn't see Aspie being the third centre back choice as a four because he doesn't play in a back four. Um, I'm told, and lucky Frank has not confirmed this to me whatsoever or confirmed this on the record anywhere. I'm told that they are wary of the partnership of Silver and Christensen together, so I'm not expecting to see that partnership. So once you get past the, the first two. It might be about partnerships. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and this way, but maybe where Rudiger comes in a, a little bit again as well, because if you're saying that um, that Silver and Zuma are my my first two, and you're also thinking, mm, not sure, I fancy Andreas Christensen as, and Silver as a partnership for whatever reason. Then Christensen, obviously, if there's a place next to Silver, then maybe you're going straight to Rudiger rather than and, and going over Christensen. Whereas if Silver's out. He quite likes that Christensen Zuma partnership, even though I don't particularly like it myself, um, and I think a lot of fans don't like it. But it feels like maybe Christensen Zuma is ahead of Rudiger Zuma. Mm. So it's such a difficult one. It's all about partnerships as well as just personnel. Well, that is a good way to run through that maybe we don't have all the answers yet, and we'll look to Frank's next couple lineups to try to figure that out. But we're going to take a real quick break, and we'll be back to talk about ranking the summer signings impact and then go through some of that squad or that match rotation, match fixtures that we've got coming up. But we will be right back after this. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. It's a lot. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Fellas, 2020 has made it hard for us to stay as hygienic as we should be. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped have made it easy to turn your bathroom into your own private salon. Manscaped is on a mission to change the grooming game with their below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products, and they just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. The Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with advanced skin-safe technology, which helps reduce grooming accidents. The waterproof technology also allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes. They also just released their Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, which is perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer. Their perfect package comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to complete your ball trimming routine. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, paraben-free, so you know your disco stick is in good hands. You're probably sitting on the couch with your hands on your balls anyways. Might as well keep them smelling fresh with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, an anti-chafing ball deodorant designed to defend against the below-the-waist odors. When that summer humidity hits, I use these to keep my balls from sticking to my legs. They even use the Crop Reviver Ball Toner that is spray-on toner for your testicles. Their foot duster, foot deodorant, is so good they can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet. Use the code LONDONISBLUE and get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Basically, all I'm saying is if you love your package, all you have to do is go to their site, hit a few buttons on your phone, and it will change your life for the better. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code LONDONISBLUE and upgrade that salon with the luxury products of Manscaped. All right, so as of the Manchester United game, we finally have had a chance to see every one of Chelsea's big signings from the summer and then maybe, you know, early uh, early spring, uh, if we count Ziyech as a part of the summer signings, uh, on the pitch for Chelsea. So Chilwell, Mendy, Werner, Silva, Havertz, and then uh, Ziyech, as it were. Matt, as you look at it, and maybe as the club is evaluating it too, if we had to kind of start ranking who's kind of got off to the the hottest start, who's potentially been the, the biggest of impacts. Um, you know, I think fans probably have some opinion of Chilwell or Mendy or maybe Werner and kind of that top pairing. How do you go about ranking it? Who's the one that you think has had the best start to their Chelsea career? Well, look, I think Mendy's the most important one. Mendy, three clean sheets in four, one, no goals conceded in the Premier League yet. That's so vital for them. That that's so so vital. If they're going to do anything this season, they had to get that goalkeeping situation sorted out. And for Mendy to start well was absolutely crucial. Um, so, albeit I think Chilwell has probably been out the standout signing overall so far because he's played a bit more and because he's maybe been a little bit more eye catching. Mendy hasn't had loads to do. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. But he started really solid. He's looked good when he's been called on. And just the fact that nothing bad has happened with him, I think that's massive for Chelsea. So I'd actually rank Mendy number one because I think mm-hmm. it's crucial. That's harsh on Chilwell because I think his his performances have been excellent and I think he's settled in really well. We spoke about Chilwell last episode, didn't we, about in our last episode together about how well he's settled and how quickly he's settled. So I'd, I'd, I'd have him at number two. I mean, from a fan's perspective, what about you guys? Yeah, I, I think the the Mendy Chilwell, I think Chilwell edges it for me maybe on the quality of the performances. I think the you are absolutely right with the whole concept that ultimately 
Mendy has not had much to do in the Man United game. We definitely put him to work a little bit more than we had in previous matches, Nick. But I, I think Chilwell probably is the one so far who's been most impressive, had the quickest start, and you know definitely has you know, had a goal and assist, has created the most chances for Chelsea in the Premier League so far this season. And that's just, I mean, from a left-back position, that's a really impressive thing to do, in addition to being a uh, very strong defender. Yeah, I think... Just from where Chilwell came in and how he ended last season, I didn't see him making this big of an impact on the squad right away. Not to say that he wouldn't have over time, but he's come in flying. So I'm I'm probably going to rank Chilwell than Mendy. But, I mean, it's hard to go against your logic, Matt, of, of the three clean sheets. I mean, it's both have been night and day from what we experienced last year. So I, I don't... I don't think you could blame any fan for having it either direction, but I think those are the top two pretty clearly right now for for me. Yeah, I, I think the most interesting one at the moment is um, is Havertz. It's really hard to judge Havertz at the moment. I think it's it's probably a bit unfair on him. I still don't know. I've got to be honest. I still don't know really what his best position is, um, and quite what his best fit is into this Chelsea team. I'm not sure Chelsea know that yet quite. Either I'm not sure we, we're quite there with knowing. I'm I'm very wary of of sort of questioning him too much because I do believe he will be a superb superb player for Chelsea. And I think you know some people could end up with a bit of egg on their faces if they go too quickly with with criticism or, or questioning him. I think it's just a bit of a slowly slowly process with him. You can tell he's technically he's he's superb, but it's it's just where's best going to be from. Is it that number ten or would he be better a slightly further back in a in a three man midfield? I don't really see it off the wing, even though I know he can play wide. But and and given Chelsea's options, I don't see it off the wing. But he's an interesting one because he was so expensive, he was so coveted, and we know he was kind of the the player as well as Lampard really wanting him. I really got the feeling that the club just felt that this was an opportunity they couldn't miss. So I, I, I'm really interested to keep seeing Havertz and to to see how quickly or slowly that adaptation happens. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I use the phrase quite frequently, a, a solution looking for a problem. But I, I kind of feel that way right now a little bit because it's not as if Chelsea don't have other attacking mm-hmm. options, right? I mean, this was a... You know, it was the perfect storm of, you know, the financial market being available for Chelsea to pick up a young, you know, potentially world-class talent. Um, and I think Frank is is has at times force-fit him at the expense of other players to try and get him going. And, and I, you would totally understand why. This is not a, a surprise. Like, I think the interesting thing is when you look at how Frank handled Pulisic last year, versus how he's handling, you know, some of his other signings. Um, you you might wonder if having those couple of matches where Pulisic was out and the media was going crazy, fans were going crazy over here, um, that Pulisic wasn't playing, that when he did come back and started to really shine a little bit, that you know, that might have been a, a pretty decent approach after all. But, um, 
Yeah, I don't know, Dan. Thoughts and feelings on Havertz so far, where he might rank on the list? Uh, I think he probably has been less impactful than someone like uh, Thiago Silva, who, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. We spend all this money on offensive talent, and yet the defenders are the ones who've been maybe the most impactful over the last string of games, especially as Frank looks to settle and cement a solution, which I think we're all happy with the concept of having a back four or back five that we can entrust, that we can feel comfortable that they they know what they're doing. You know, I think getting that only helps Reese James get settled as well. Having Azuma and Silva partnership that puts themselves in a position to be a bit of a rock at the back. And, you know, with Mendy between the sticks and Chilwell on the left, you really have, I think, what what it seems like, Matt, that probably is the first choice defensive unit in a four or a five for for frank now it seems like you know that frank probably has enough material to say that's the back four back five i want to kind of go with as much as i can this season yeah i think that's right i think he it's really interesting isn't it because we've now seen that he can come up with a formula in attack where they're very potent and they can score a lot of goals we we can see that and we've seen it in games. And now we're starting to see he can come up with a formula and a personnel at the back who can keep clean sheets. And now we need to see if it can all sort of be done at once. That's the difficult part. That is the really difficult part. And lots of managers and teams struggle with that. Um, but, yeah, you, you can see it's starting to shake down now. I mean, if, 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 if Chelsea were to play a Champions League final tomorrow, I think probably... For the first time over the last week, I could probably name you what Frank would think his, his starting eleven would be for that out mm-hmm. of the current squad. And I think most people would be able to at the moment. Whereas three weeks ago, I think we'd have all come up with lots of crazy different sort of ideas on, on that. So there's definitely progress being made in terms of how it's shaken down. I see, I actually see, I know they weren't very exciting to watch, but I see the last two games as a positive I thought after the Southampton game, they needed to show that grit and that determination and that ability to defend. And I thought that was more important than winning games, potentially even. Had they even won those two games 4-3, we'd probably be sat here now talking about two great results if they'd have beaten Seville and Man United both 4-3. But in actual fact, I'm not sure it'd have been as productive for the future because we still wouldn't know whether they can defend, whether they can come up with a defensive plan. So I think it's been productive, but the the next run of fixtures now is so important to start winning games. I can't stress how important it is. Well, let's let's get into that because there are four matches coming up between another, that's right, international break. We've got two Champions League fixtures against Krasnodar and Wren, and then we have two Premier League fixtures versus Burnley and Sheffield, who've had a incredible fall from grace since the uh, pre-lockdown era of last season mm. you know just looking at that lineup matt you know of matches what what do you think kind of the minimum expectations that frank is going to set for this for look you know, extremely favorable setup of matches and fixtures ahead win them all it's got to be win them all i mean frank will always even at the manu game where he, he you could say he set up quite conservatively. That that was still set up to win the game, and had Aspie got the penalty, he should have he should have got. They, they probably would have won the game. But th- 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 these four games are all about winning now, for sure, absolutely for sure. Overperformance as well now. They 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 need 
they need to start getting points on the board now. They really do. Um, not because there's any sense of panic or crisis or anything like that, but like I said, they've shown, they've shown they can do various parts of the game now. They've come back from a terrible second half against Southampton and look solid, but now they've got to win games, get themselves at that table and get into that international break in a strong position points-wise. Far more important than scoring lots of goals or playing teams off the park or whatever. They've got to win these next four games for me. Even one draw, I think, would be disappointing. And I, I don't like putting pressure on teams and, and managers and going overboard in terms of the importance of, of, of results so early in the season. We haven't even played 10 games. But I just think you've, you've got to look. The way Burnley and Sheffield United have started and Krasnodar and Wren, you've got to be winning them all. Yeah, <laughs> correct. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Nick. Great summary. Um, <laughs> as we kind of look ahead, though, with just how the table has situated itself over the first five or six fixtures, you know, the teams that maybe we would have expected a Liverpool and a City to be at the top of the table are not there at the moment. And so, you know, we had talked about with you the whole concept that this season for Frank was about closing the gap on those teams. And maybe, maybe actually we don't want to close the gap because we'd be giving up a couple points this moment to close the gap with them. Um, Liverpool are sneaking up there though now, aren't they? they I know are. Liverpool, Liverpool aren't playing particularly well and they, they've looked sort of dodgy in quite a few matches, but they're, they're still picking up wins and they're, you know, they're, I think they're 13 points now, are they? Um mm-hmm. So you don't want to let them get too far ahead while they're not playing well, because you'd imagine at some stage they'll start playing well again. Um, particularly now, I know they're going to have Van Dijk out the whole season, but particularly now Allison's back. Um, so the Liverpool thing they'll be looking at, and they, they don't want them creeping away. I mean, Manchester City and Man United, unbelievable. You know, Man City down in sort of 13th place with eight points and their worst start to a season in six years. I mean, that does... The fact that United, City... Liverpool before the last couple of weeks, it does add credence to what Frank has been saying in that we're all impacted by the lack of preparation, the lack of quality time with the players. And it's no secret that the, the club, some of the clubs who have had that time, Everton, Villa, uh, Wolves to a certain extent, um, have started well um, because they have had longer with their players and they've had more of a pre-season and, and more preparation. I think every week that will start we, you know, we saw Villa lose to, to Leeds. We saw Everton lose to Southampton. I think that will start to even itself out now over the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy. And, you know, Tottenham, we're talking on Monday, Tottenham play tonight. I think Tottenham are on sort of eight or nine points. I think they're eight points. Tottenham haven't had a brilliant start. And yet you can trick yourself into believing that Tottenham have actually started quite well. So... Chelsea's start is, is pretty much down to par, but I, I do think the next, you know, well, two league games, but I, even after the international break, they've got a nice set of fixtures for a while. Chelsea's next four or five league games are really key, I think, into how that momentum's going to carry them. And we always say wait for 10 games to, to get a really accurate picture of where you might be heading for a season. So I guess, I guess a question for you, Matt, would be, as you're reporting, as you're kind of sussing out some of the important details with Frank and squad composition and how the team are gelling. Like, 
what's what's Frank's biggest challenge in your mind to get the squad solidified and and kind of working as a cohesive unit? Because I think I think what you pointed out earlier is accurate. We've we've done the offensive explosion thing, and and now you know hopefully we can do the lockdown defensive thing more consistently than we did last year. But that we haven't seen it together. So what's the what, what's this challenge here? The challenge is twofold, I think, and I think they're both important. I think the, the challenge, obviously, as we've sort of hinted at, is to somehow find that balance of a team that can defend competently without losing the attacking threat that they've they've clearly got. That doesn't mean scoring three goals every game, and and likewise, it doesn't mean keeping a clean sheet every game because he, clean sheets are great, but if you're only conceding one goal every game, you're probably going to win the majority of them. So. There's a balance to be found there. Um, and I think that's his number one challenge at the moment and the one that they've got to quickly. The second one is, is a long-term thing, but I think we need to start seeing it soon. I'm still... I think Frank did an amazing job last season, don't get me wrong. You know, after Jurgen Klopp, he was my manager of the season. And I, I, I really, really have faith in that he's a very, very good manager. I'm still yet to define what a Frank Lampard team looks like, though. I don't quite know. They press high, but they're not a sort of Liverpool high energy because they like to keep the ball a lot more rather than hit quick, quick, quick. But they're not a Man City pass, pass, pass. I'm, I'm still not sure what a Frank Lampard, what a perfect Frank Lampard Chelsea team looks like. And I think he would accept that. I think he would accept we're yet to see it. Um, We've asked him what it is a few times in press conferences and he hasn't wanted to say, um, partly because I don't think he yet wants to define it in words because he doesn't want to be judged against it immediately because I think he could put a lot of pressure on himself to have himself judged against it. And also partly because he's only really just got this, you know, he's only just had his first transfer window and got some of the players that he wanted to get in and, it's a case of seeing whether he can do it with this group of players or whether it's going to take a bit of time. But I would I would love to have an eye into the future to try and see what what a Frank Lampard Chelsea team actually looks like when when he's really got it. And we we might not see it still for three, four, five months. I mean, we I was trying to think the other day when we kind of first saw Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool team, and it was at least six, you know, it certainly wasn't in his first season in charge. Um and then we probably started to see it in his second season. So I'm, I'm hoping at some stage this season we start to see what what is what is Frank Lampard's Chelsea. I mean, even then though, Dan, you know, Jurgen Klopp had Gagan pressing at Dortmund. Like we all knew that coming into the league, how he wanted to play, whether whether he could adapt that style for the Premier League was his challenge, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's probably a fair point to look at Frank and go. You know, not like you have to have a signature move or anything like that, but, um, but I mean, if you can't define the style in a couple of words, I think that's probably, you know, that's probably the challenge, right? Is you know, there is no clear definition to me of of what the team is trying to do, and I think probably when you look through some of the more reasonable tweets out there around Frank Lampard. That would be a consistent theme that pops up to me. It's a well-taken point, and I think that the way that I look at this situation is that ultimately when you 
also are trying to fit in a Jorginho, which really isn't, I think, necessarily the player that Frank wants, which kind of changes, I think, the whole dynamic of what you put out there because he seems to be the midfield solution or part of the midfield solution with Jorginho and Conte, which I don't think most of us counted on heading into the season. I think that was still something that is a little bit of a holdover from the sorry days that are just here with us currently that that also changes what you can or can't do with a with a side. And so it, it seems like to me the way that you're talking about it, Matt, it's almost where if Frank were to define it too, it also could put a little bit of a pressure on the players. And, and really, this is a pressure that is Frank's to own and not necessarily on the fault, the fault of the players. That's a great point about um, Jorginho and the players. Yeah, I, I hadn't actually thought of that point myself, but it's a great point because were he to define a style that you simply can't play still, even though there's been a lot of turnover of players, but great point on Jorginho and the sort of defensive midfield setup, because it's clearly, we know it's it's not his ideal setup. We know that because he, he wanted Declan Rice and he wanted Thomas Partey. Um, so whether you can do it without that, I don't know. And, and therefore, as you say, defining it in words could become very dangerous because you, you pretty much ending up defining a system that makes it clear that at least one or two of your players really aren't, aren't part of it for the long term, which while you can't sign any players or change anything, it would be ridiculous to do that to yourself. So that's a great point. But um, it, it, it really is true, isn't it? If we look through successful Chelsea managers, even some unsuccessful Chelsea managers, you can pretty much define what their Chelsea are whether you like it or don't like it, whether it's good or bad, you can define what their Chelsea are. And when you look at Klopp, when you look at Guardiola, you can define what their teams are. I think it's actually where Pochettino used to fall down a little bit at Tottenham. For all the good work he did at Tottenham, I was never quite sure what they were, whether they were trying to do the Jurgen Klopp high-press, high-energy game press. But they didn't really do that. And yet they didn't pass, 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 keep the ball and they didn't really counter-attack like a Conte team. I always felt they fell in the middle of it, and it probably cost them. Um, similarly, Solskjaer at Man United, I couldn't, I couldn't define uh, what, what he is at the moment. So I think that will be important in time, but I think that's a, a long, a, a continuing long-term challenge. The, the thing at the moment is just balancing it. However they're going to play for now, balancing it up so that you, you might lose some of the attacking threat, but you don't lose all of it whilst becoming stable at the back. And they can probably start to do that now that Mendy has come in and made a solid start because you can trust him. If you actually start giving chances away the other end, you can trust that he's going to actually save some. Whereas they were in a situation where they almost couldn't have anyone shooting at their goal because every shot was turning into a goal. Yeah, that's the, I think the formation question, right, Dan, is like, Clearly, to me, the four-two-three-one is an offensively balanced, you know, tilted towards balance uh, formation. Obviously, the three-four-three is providing extra cover. So, we've talked about four-three-three before. That's, I think, where this team should be. Frankly, I think this team is probably best suited to have Conte, Kovacic, Mount, Havertz. You know, pick your midfield three out of those for right now. And, and let the rest kind of take care of itself. I mean, the front three doesn't really change that much in a 4-3-3 from a 3-4-3. Um, 
you add you added Chilwell because he's really athletic and is a good left back and can cover. So I'm not as worried about him pressing high up the field if there's you know kind of rotation or if one of the fullbacks sits back like. That that to me is is the ideal situation. Well, there, there's an interesting name that you left out, and maybe we'll close on on this, Matt. Since we have expectations, we understand a little bit of the bounce of the squad and who's made the biggest impact, maybe out of the summer signings. Uh, Billy Gilmore's name got brought up recently, yeah. and Frank said he's about three weeks out, which you know would put us kind of post international break where he might be able to start getting some minutes. Maybe he'll get rehab back with like the Dev Squad side, but. How how do you see him maybe making a bit of a change for Frank here? Because he was one that was getting some trust in some big appearances last season. You know, had a chance to go against Liverpool, did really well against some much taller and much uh, beefier individuals, and you know might be a bit of a solution that Frank is kind of keeping an eye out for. Yeah, for sure. Look, um, even though he's probably three weeks away fitness wise, it's going to take him a little while. <clears throat> um, it was the Crystal Palace game, wasn't it, after the lockdown that he got injured? So how long are we talking? Three, three, four months he's been, he'll have been out. So it's, it's clearly, even once he's back in three weeks, you're probably looking at another month realistically after that until he's got a chance of actually solidifying any kind of place. But Frank loves him. Um, I mean, remember, he was keeping out Jorginho while before he got injured, Jorginho was on the bench, was benched a lot for him. His energy, his ability to press high up the pitch, that was that was a big, big thing for, for Chelsea um, when he was he was playing well. And I think he will get a chance. What I also think he offers, he he could he could play instead of either Jorginho and or Kante at the moment. Not because he's better than them, but just to almost give them a rest and a rotate a bit. You know, Kante I do feel has, has suffered from overplaying over the last couple of years, both for France and for Chelsea. And he's quite a similar player in a way to, to Kante in, in, in some respects, in that he can get up and down the pitch, he can tackle, he can recover. He's got that passing range that Kante hasn't got. I know he's been compared to, to Sesk in, in, in that respect, but he can also get around the pitch and provide the energy. So you might be able to rest Kante a little bit to, to get to get Billy Gilmore in. And certainly, um, if Jorginho is struggling at all, then he'd be in instead of Jorginho because we see, we've seen that in the past. It's maybe one of the reasons why they're prepared to let Barkley out as well, in that I think they saw Gilmore coming back and being a better fit to, to be part of this midfield rather than Barkley being part of this midfield. So, yeah, it adds a really good, other, a good option for him. And, and something... They actually haven't got loads of because Mount isn't that player who gets all around that pit, all around the pitch. Kovacic can be, but he he adds into that mix of that kind of number eight who can who can really do a little bit of everything for you. So I think he'll be he'll be a big big plus, and he'll be I think he'll be an important squad player this season. But I do think that no one should expect in three weeks when he's medically fit to to expect him to come come in too fast he might have to even wait for the FA Cup to come around to just start getting some some game time and, and gradually ease his way in that way well if nothing else we know that the squad is deep and minutes are going to be at a premium for any <laughs> player who plays in a Chelsea shirt and that doesn't change from season to season but that will be the end of this episode with Matt Nick thank you again as always Matt absolute pleasure and uh, until next time Chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high 